The Ornstein and Chapman podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store, over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello, welcome to the Unseen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we're bringing you exclusive and original stories and interviews offering agenda-setting insight from inside the game from David and writers from across The Athletic. So on this pod, why Liverpool might have to lift the Premier League trophy in an empty stadium, we'll have updates on Wolves' pursuit of a new sporting director and how they've managed to get things right both on and off the pitch. We'll look at how Birmingham City have gone the other way and seem to have got things very badly wrong. Uh, David also has news on an international call-up for Chelsea's young star, Billy Gilmore. By listening to us, you do get a 40% discount on subscription. So just go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. Now, hopefully, if you've listened to last week's uh, pod, uh, we had James Horncastle, our Italian writer, on the coronavirus and how it's affected football in Italy. Your column on The Athletic at the moment, David, talks about how it could affect English football. There are an awful lot of rumours, stories, predictions around Mm. at the moment. Yeah, and the key thing here is that it's moving so quickly, both the virus and the wider story. There's a key meeting in Italy on Tuesday from which I'm told there's a very good chance that the Italian season will be cancelled altogether. When I was told that, I went back and said, are you sure, you know, this, this can just continue behind closed doors for now? And I was told, If you were over here and if you're in these circles, you would understand that there is a very realistic chance of the season being cancelled. Wow. Um, So that's certainly one to watch on the the European uh, picture. And there is so much political wrangling and machinations and arguments in Italy you wouldn't believe between the various authorities and clubs and presidents and individuals and then the European body and the world body so we can't really get into the, the full details of that I don't know the full details but that's but one that, thing that is an option that is on the table from who you spoke to yeah and it's a uh, it's an increasing possibility from from who I spoke to on the domestic front over here. There are key meetings taking place as we speak. People I've spoken to around the FA suggesting this is an absolutely pivotal 24-48 hours. The England friendly against Italy at Wembley at the end of the month to the Premier League schedule, which many people are now saying the Premier League should get it or the government should get on the front foot and and make next weekend's matches behind closed doors get ahead of this because once you get behind the eight ball on on a virus such as this then the work you have to do is far more difficult just from a fan's point of view before we go on to the chaos that the authorities face here and fixtures and so on and so forth i come back to something i said in the intro about liverpool and lifting the premier league trophy james pierce the athletics liverpool writer wrote this in in his article that there were fears that that Premier League trophy could be lifted in an empty stadium. If you were a Liverpool fan listening to this, you've got the possibility, if you follow Italy, that a season gets cancelled. Which surely, I mean, surely they couldn't cancel the season. You've also got the opportunity of waiting 30 years to see your team lift the trophy and then not see it because the stadium will be shut and then want a, a victory parade for winning the league and probably that not being allowed because of how many people would congregate and that's the whole point of, of playing behind closed doors. So if you're a Liverpool fan, there are so many things to, to concern yourself at the moment or you could go the other way and go, you media are blowing this all out of proportion. We're talking about life and death here with this virus and so that is more important. In terms of the actual football, Liverpool will wrap up the title by the looks of it before any kind of bans and on playing or fans entering stadiums really takes hold. What I do know is that it's having a real impact on summer tours. So uh, Liverpool were planning to go and play a one-off game in China, very lucrative. That has been or is on the verge of being scrapped in favour of a, a European tour, which is not just down to the coronavirus. There are the Euros as well. 
Jurgen Klopp wants to stay more local for, for various reasons. Uh, Tottenham were planning to go to Asia with a focus on Korea, and that is now off the table. They uh, are considering alternative plans as we speak. Another Premier League club uh, has an Asia tour planned and um, has to consider... Uh, fears around uh, COVID and also the associated implications around insurance. Uh, Premier League club last week wrote to all members of staff banning all non-footballing staff and visitors from all first team areas with immediate effect. On the message, it said this is to protect the brand as well as the competition and the reputation. So we're not just talking about health here. The Premier League going down at the expense of coronavirus would be cataclysmic financially as and reputationally, commercially, as well as the more important issues around health. Um, Premier League clubs are really, really fearful that just one player gets infected and then we're in pandemonium. Yeah, let's bring Matt Slater <clears throat> in, Athletics uh, Football News and Investigations reporter. If I look at the Six Nations and the mm-hmm. games that have been postponed, cancelled there... Mm-hmm. Um, when they look for future dates, the Six Nations committed, they've they've got to navigate, I suppose, European rugby and domestic rugby. But the calendar they can kind of work with. If you're trying to reschedule anything from a football point of view, um, <laughs> you have rather more hoops to jump through. It sounds like I've been having very similar conversations to David's with people. And there is, there is genuine concern, genuine oh, panic might be, a little bit strong here in this country, but not far off. I think the the, the message I'm getting is we just don't know. Yep. I had a really good conversation with someone last week. I was at the UEFA Congress where obviously we're talking about all manner of things, but Euro 2020 was looming very, very large. And there were lots of, around the size, there were lots of like jokes and banter with Italians, you know, oh, should we do a handshake? Should we do yeah. nonsense with our knees and our elbows and all that sort of stuff? And here comes the lurgy. And then sort of going, well, you know... Are we all overreacting? Is this, is this, you know, are we, the media, playing a part in this? The sense I got was, yes, we probably are. The last couple of days, it's been around, do you know what? Maybe overreacting now is the sensible thing to do. And, and, and I think this is the pressure that British football's on. They're looking at the numbers and they're saying, look, we're not, we're not where China was a couple of weeks ago. We're not where Italy appears to be now. We're not where lots of places appear to be now. Do you know what? Italy was saying that. We are going to keep looking at this. It's constant monitoring. I think your point's about the calendar, absolutely. And that is why football is... A, I wouldn't say it's frozen, but it's it's reluctant to overreact. And I just think that that decision is right in the balance. There are two things with what might be seen as a perceived overreaction, aren't there? And, and the first is if you, if you postpone or cancel anything, to then try and fit it back in again is now and impossible because of the calendar, as we've sort of touched on. The other thing is way away from the, the Premier League side of things is if you're a League Two club and you get an average gate of 2,500 and you're behind closed doors, then there are already football clubs on the brink, as as we know, day week by week reporting on clubs who can't pay their players. But if you're then paying behind closed doors with no paying customers coming through, and I know people's lives are at risk compared to the, the, the state of a football club, but football clubs could go to the wall. In the Premier League, we all know that the, the, the most, most of the money comes from broadcast, right? Um, be it straight from yeah. the Premier League or if you're lucky enough to play in Europe from UEFA, right? So that it's, it's a hugely significant pot of cash, that, that, that guarantee. Even the worst team in the Premier League will be, will be banking £120 million, right? Up to 150 depends where you come in the yeah. table, how often you're on, that kind of thing. It's a huge wedge of cash. It's not that way in the AFL. There are three main revenue streams for all football clubs. Match day, you know, tickets, food, beverage, car parking, you name it. That's, that's one. Commercial, which will be uh, you know shirt sponsors, whoever's on the on the signage at the side of the pitch, etc., etc. Shirt sales will come under that as well, and broadcast. Towards the top of the pyramid, broadcast is by far the biggest, and then then you know commercial and match day tends to be about the same. Ten to fifteen percent of a Premier League club's income, League One, League Two, 50, 50 plus, two thirds. Now my concern, and you voiced it with your question, is. I can think of off the top of my head, and it's possibly unfair of me to list them right now, but people who are cross-league EFL mm. will know those clubs are going from 
home game to home game. They really are. They're losing money anyway, yeah. right? They get four wedges of cash, central distribution. Some of those clubs, they're not even seeing that check because it's going straight to the people they owe money to, i.e. the PFA because the PFA have been playing the players' wages or clubs that they owe salary, uh, you know, transfer instalments to. Some of those clubs are not even seeing those central distributions. They are going from home gate to home gate. Empty stadiums at Manchester United may be a big hit, but it's a manageable one. Yep. Empty stadiums at Rochdale is potentially putting their livelihood at stake. Too right. You know, Mac- Look, I said I wouldn't name them, but I mean, some of them are so oh, obvious. Yeah, Macclesfield, you know, South End. South End, exactly. I yeah. mean, clubs dear to my heart. I'm fr- I, 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 live, I live in Macclesfield. It's the club I see probably most. Yeah. And I support Southend, right? So, <laughs> so you know, this, yeah. is, this is right in, my, right in my sweet spot. Thanks very much. <laughs> you know, and I could you know, hold them. And there's, there's, there's so many that are just struggling to pay their wages. And the match day part of the revenue package is huge. Now, I spoke to an EFL source. It was a sigh of exasperation. It was, you know, we, we don't know. Look, we, we have some reserves. But we're not the Premier League. No. Mm. We're not UEFA. If it's a couple of weeks, if it's at the end of the season, maybe it's a home game, two home games. Yeah, maybe we can get by and we can do something there. God, if, we, if we're writing the season off now and they're, and they're saying goodbye to, what, there, there are a dozen games to go in most leagues, aren't there? Yeah. And six home games. Mm. You're asking all the right questions, guys. And this is and, this and nobody is what, has the answers. No, but this is this is I guess if I had one thing to say today about coronavirus based on the last I'll be honest with you, I don't think I took it seriously mm. enough yeah. initially. I've only taken it really seriously in the last four or five days when we've had this, oh, F1's going. All right, tennis tournaments are going in the States now. Hmm, they're starting to talk about the Masters. Cycling season looks like it's written off. Ah, Olympics, they are genuinely now talking about what we're going to do. Marathons are being, you know, are being called off. It, it gets to the point where it suddenly becomes brave in that kind of old yes minister type joke, brave stroke, foolhardy, stroke risky, when you're the ones not doing it. I was told of an agent going into a championship club and being warned on arrival that he'll need to put on some gloves and some shoe covers, the type you wear at swimming pools. And the person that told me chuckled about it. But suddenly those jokes are not so funny when you understand this full context and the potential and unanswered ramifications. As things stand at the moment, Paris Saint-Germain against Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League is going to be played behind closed doors. But RB Leipzig against Tottenham is going ahead in a full stadium. Does, broadening it out, does this highlight a slight problem within the sport of football in that nobody actually runs it with the eye, which is what we talked about before, but nobody actually runs it and goes, right, this is what you're all doing. I'm going to say yes and no. Right. Yes, because what you've just said is completely true. No, I think in this particular case, we are talking about every country being led by their own public health experts. Okay. Okay, so look, so so France are going down this way. They've they've decided this is this is this is their situation. I think they've come out with a sort of Swiss style uh, one I think they're going on on 1000. I think bigger than 1000 people we're going to knock on their heads till mid-April, all right? I yeah. think that's relatively breaking news. I I, yeah. I think I read that on Twitter. Um, and that you know again, you know, Paris-Nice bike race going on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Germany clearly don't feel they're quite there yet. So, but but the point you're making though about the calendar, and you made it in, the, in, a, in a question a few yeah. a few moments ago, is is absolutely spot on. The football calendar, the more I research it and study it and understand it, is complete chaos. <laughs> it is a miracle this kind of stuff doesn't happen all the time anyway. Like you know, people grinding to a halt and going, oh, mm. you know, already this week uh, something slightly unusual was happening. In that it's not supposed to happen. Um, there's a Premier League game, a Man City yes. game, being scheduled against a Champions League yeah. game. That that's a sort of kind of UEFA no-no. Mm. I don't think anyone's in UEFA is going to moan about it right now. Mm. But you're not supposed to schedule games against Champions League games. Mm. So, way too many tournaments. There is enormous pressure on the calendar, and I think the problem I hear and when I talk to even sensible football people who completely understand this. Is they're they're finding it really hard to get out of their own little silo, out of their little lane. They can see the they can see their tournament, right? We our big clubs want this, or our little clubs need this. We need more games, more money, better games, more meaningful fixtures. Whatever little euphemism they're using, they want to revamp their thing. They want it to stay fresh. They want it to appeal to sponsors. They want it to appeal to somebody over there who doesn't know about it yet. And the answer nearly always boils down to a little bit more. We're gonna do a little bit more. But everyone's doing a little bit more. FIFA's just expanded the World Cup. 
FIFA wants to get into a Nations League. FIFA wants to get into club football. It wants to expand its Club World Cup. Uh, UEFA has just tweaked the Nations League. We're going to go four groups, four yeah. team groups as opposed to three team groups. We're about to have this Euro 2020. I know it's not bigger in teams, but it's bigger in scale. I know it's a one-off, but again, it's bigger. Uh, CONCACAF are doing a Nations League, which is coming to uh, its climax in June. They really liked it. It meant more fixtures for their members. Asia's looking at that. Africa's looking at that. Hold on a minute, guys. You know, what are we talking here? We're going to have 40-man squads? Because if we are going to have 40-man squads, well, that's only going to help the big teams. That's going to ruin competitive balance in leagues even worse. And then the fan will be going, hold on a minute, because we have this in the NBA. I want to see LeBron James every game. I don't want him sitting on the bench wrestling for the playoffs. I want my money back. I, I came here to see the superstars. Why is Sadio Mane not playing today? When TV picks are made for cup games in particular, it's not as simple as just going, we'll pick that game first, because you might have a slot in your schedule, but that might not fit in with where the Champions League had been the week before. Well, this season we've had Liverpool, our, you know, our, yeah, yeah. our best team, effectively writing off two competitions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's strange. Mm. And now we're seeing why the coronavirus is being taken so seriously because there is so much at stake and so many interests that these various bodies, clubs, organisations, individuals, they cannot afford for the sport to be brought, or any sport to be brought down. Um, And, I mean, it's a different issue altogether, but the health of players within that, um, because they're the commodities that make this happen, is the most important thing of all to the people counting the money well absolutely so imagine imagine coronavirus wasn't wasn't going on right now and we were just talking about fatigue we we're just talking about hips knees yeah. all that kind of thing right that's so, pressing enough yeah absolutely so at the uefa congress last week which look, i understand congresses uefa fifa anything anything like that immediately people are going oh my word where are we going with this this is dry <laughs> and it is dry and the highlight for sports news geeks like me at the back was these these two opening speeches where Gianni Infantino, the the you know he's 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 a he's an ideas man, the the guy that runs FIFA, the sort of new set blatter. Which I think I'm sure if I did a straw poll of people in the high street and asked them who the boss of FIFA was, I think most of them would still say set blatter. Yeah, yeah, if any, if if they knew what FIFA was, yeah. Gianni Infantino has been there for three or four years and has done and has done huge amounts. He's way more proactive. He's ideas coming off like this all, all over the place. Now, he gave a very, having been at loggerheads with European football for about a year or so, and this is because FIFA, if you like, have all the political power and UEFA have all the money. They've got the clubs and the stars. And they've, they, this has been the dynamic of sort of global football for about 30 years, this sort of banging of heads between these two bodies. Infantino got up, gave a speech as the sort of guest uh, and former number two at UEFA and gave a very conciliatory speech along the lines of, uh, let's build bridges. You know, we've got this calendar issue. We've got we've got European football dominating at World Cups now. The clubs are so are so rich. Can we spread the love a bit, guys? Can we? You know, I've got to race football up in Asia. I've got to race football up in Africa. Can you help me? All right? Can, let's do, can we do something with the calendar? And then the UEFA boss Alexander Sheffrin saying, "Get stuffed." <laughs> Basically, talking to his room, his yeah. audience. It matters for the calendar. It matters for Club World Cups. It matters for how many teams are at the World Cup, the quality of your World Cup. It matters for how many times Son has to fly around the world, Sadio Mane has to fly around the world and get injured or, or be on planes and be tired and then, you know, not, not look yeah. himself in March. It happens for all, all these little reasons flow from these ridiculous rows that these, these powerful egos are, are having. And I sit there at the back and go... Right. Okay. This is great theatre, but when when are you going to sit down with all the stakeholders, mm. with Fief Pro, the players? When are you ever going to listen to fans? Mm. Do you like beer? Do you like free? Well, how about, and you may have guessed this, free beer. As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com slash footy and cover just the postage of £4.95. You've got to pay the postage. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's basically 10 free beers. 
Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. So no surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are passionate about the UK craft beer scene. And the beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive. And a beery snack is thrown in, just to top it all off. If you don't like dark beers, choose the light plan. It's easy. All you've got to do, go to www.beer52.com slash footy to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Ornstein and Chapman podcast listeners get two extra free beers. Now, one of the Premier League success stories in recent years has been Wolves in the mix for a top four finish. They're in the last 16 of the Europa League and they are working to secure a new sporting director, David, after the departure of Kevin Thelwell. Yes, although it may not be a sporting director title that is given out at the end of this. Probably won't, I'm told, um, because the role is likely to be downgraded. Um, Kevin Thelwell had... Um, risen up through the ranks at Wolves, uh, occupied a number of positions, culminating in a place on the board. So he was extremely influential. Um, the chairman, Jeff Shee, has assumed Kevin Thelwell's role or some most of his responsibilities since uh, he moved over to New York Red Bulls, which is interesting in itself because that was Kevin Thelwell's choice. So that may explain a bit of the context here. Um, and also since the surprise departure of Laurie Dalrymple um, as managing director last year, Jeff Shee has also taken on some of his roles. So we're building a picture here that Jeff Shee um, controls a lot at Wolves on behalf of Foson, the owners. And then there's the influence of George Mendes, the super agent, who uh, part of his Gestafute company is owned by Foson. Uh, he has been influential in Wolves transfers. He represents Nuno Espirito Santo, his first ever client, um, and many of the Wolves players. So Wolves are looking to replace Thelwell, as opposed to appointing a new sporting director. They were going to uh, make the appointment in the summer. I'm told that's now being fast-tracked and they hope to offer the A job uh, by the end of March. Um, maybe it's going to be a head of football operations. That carries less power or, or a technical director. Um, they are using headhunters. They're approaching candidates. I've heard of some who have turned it down because they think that they won't have enough autonomy right. under Jeff Shee and with Mendes there as well. Um, so they're maybe going at a more either junior level, somebody who could develop into the role, somebody that's um, at a, a smaller club at this point in time. But it is a really interesting subject because, as someone was putting to me, it to me, it's all well and good getting to this level. It's magnificent what Wolves have done getting to this level. It's even harder staying there. You've got to make so many right decisions, put so many correct processes in place and even build bridges to, to go on further. And that is a really difficult task. On the in-tray are things like the future of Nuno, which is absolutely vital given his central role in Wolves' rise and a summer transfer window that is going to be... Um, mired in uncertainty with with what's going on and what we've talked about so far, but also truncated because of the European Championship. Let's bring in uh, Tim Spears, the Athletics Wolverhampton writer, also part of our Wolves podcast, The Molyneux View. Hi, Tim. Hi, guys. Uh, given David's last answer there, um, this feels like a very important appointment for them, even if they're diluting the power of, of this role a little bit. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, you can't really underestimate the importance of Kevin Thelwell, you know, for the last few years at Wolves. Very important figure, a sort of a voice of reason, really, uh, of somebody who knows the English game inside out, which, you know, you couldn't say of, of Nuno or the owners. Um, and he made the role his own. Um, done a lot of very important things over the years. He he recommended Kenny Jackett's, appoint Kenny Jackett's appointment, which was, you know, the start of Wolves' revival when they were back down in League One. Um, I mean, he attracted a lot of criticism from fans for some of the signings he made when the days from the days where Wolves' budget was very different to what it is now. Um, and Nuno and Jeff Shee were quite baffled, really, by how unpopular he was. But it shouldn't be underestimated the work he was doing behind the scenes. I mean, as David's alluded to there, he was 
he was sort of the perfect man for that role because he's got such enormous academy expertise and very savvy in the domestic market. I mean, he oversaw the signings of Adama Traore um, and also going back a little bit, Ryan Bennett and John mm. Ruddy, Connor Cody, Luke Matheson, they brought in from Rochdale in January, who's very, very highly regarded. And, and he could oversee kind of several departments, you know, very much linked with the academy. But the most pertinent part of David's excellent piece in his column today is, you know, even if the club wanted a leading sporting director, few would accept such circumstances, which is obviously the the Mendes issue relating to first team top-end recruitment. Fascinating. So, a, a little later on in this podcast, we're, we're going to talk Birmingham and and how owners can get things wrong. And in in general, at various clubs, not, not specifically Birmingham, although they are a prime example at the moment. So... For all we talk about the owners of Wolves getting things right in the rise of the club, Thelwell's role has been hugely important in those owners getting it right. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, he's, well, he was at Wolves for 11 years, so he knew the club inside out, he knew the domestic market inside out. And it was it was a sort of a really interesting dynamic between him and Nuno and Jeff Shee. Very different personalities. I mean, it, very different contrasting backgrounds. Um, and it, it shouldn't have worked, really, but, but but it did. And, you know, Thelwell and his recruitment team would suggest players. And if Nuno didn't want them, you know, they'd go to Mendes like they did in January with Daniel Pedence from Olympiacos, Leo Campana, they bought it from Ecuador. They were both Mendes clients. And I think, I think many would have perhaps walked under those circumstances. But the key thing with Kevin Thelwell was he was, he was willing... If not happy, he he was willing to kind of know his place, I think, and mm. and Foson looked after him. They promoted him to the board. They valued him very highly. So so it all kind of worked together. And they'll need someone who's malleable, who can fit into that structure when they make when they make this appointment. And it's fascinating that others would, other sporting directors, top sporting directors, uh, and maybe even people at a, a slightly lower level would not want this role because they would not want to work under those terms. We're not criticising the, the the Wolves hierarchy. They, they're just doing it in a way that would be off-putting for some peop- some outsider who might come in to work with them. But do you think, and I don't want you to burn any bridges here at Wolves, that Kevin Thelwell would still be there if it wasn't for the growing influence of, say, Jeff Shee and George Mendes? It's a good question. I mean, yeah, on, on the face of it, Wolves sixth in the league, last 16 in the Europa League. You know, people should be bending over backwards to want to work there. But it's this looming spectre of George Mendes, you know, one of the most important men in, in world football when it, come, when it comes to transfers. And he's taken priority and has been such a key figure in Fosun buying the club and hiring Nuno and bringing in Neves and Jota and Bolly and Matinho and Patricio. Wolves, Wolves are underpinned by the work that Thelwell had done, obviously, which was such a key factor in where they've got to now. But Mendes has been even more important in plus, that. Plus, plus Thelwell's cho- chosen to go and work in work and live in New York. So I mean, I mean, hasn't he in, Although, in, in all of this? So I'd, no. I'd take I'd take that as quite a nice gig to go to. And it's interesting that um, he will as a sort of head of football I think his role is over there have interaction with the major agencies when it comes to recruitment and one of those is Gestafute and I think he would still have uh, dealings with uh, George Mendes and uh, his assistant Valdia um, and I think their relationship was pretty good it, but it doesn't mean it was the circumstances that he wanted to continue working under at Wolves. No it, it should should be made clear that you know, Thel was chosen to go, but they had, he had a very good working relationship, and him and Jeff Shee worked closely on on the, on his departure and what still needed doing over the next few months. And everything's kind of been wrapped up to an extent. There's there's only John Ruddy that's out of contract this summer, so there was no kind of bad blood there. I think Thelwell just wanted to kind of perhaps spread his wings a little bit more, and obviously he's now working under the Red Bull umbrella so to speak, with all the opportunities that that brings as well. So it was a great, great opportunity for him. Tim, the next chapter that I'm absolutely fascinated by is Nuno, given his pivotal role in all of this. He holds the aces, clearly. Only a year to go on his contract, but he's got a sort of burgeoning reputation. Um, If a bigger club, with all due respect to Wolves, comes in for him, makes a real hard play for him, how does Mendes respond, given that... Nuno's his first ever client and he's responsible for him but Foson have a 20% stake in Mendez's company and he needs to help Wolves succeed 
Let's get him on, David. Let's ask him. <laughs> Good luck answering this one, Tim. Anyhow. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that's that, that's that's the kind of worry for Wolves. Really, is is what happens if and when Nuno goes. I mean, he's so so central to to everything. And Foson have not bent over backwards, but but they've made him happy. I think they've seen his his look at his track record. I mean, he's jumped from club to club to club. This is the longest he's spent at, at, at any club so far. So uh, all the players are so the players adore him. He gives so much to them. They give so much to him. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a conflict of interest to say the least. And there is a slight concern as to succession plans that are or aren't being put in place. And you know what happens when all these players move on or Nuno moves on and Wolves fans will remember well the first season under Foson 2016-17 when they sacked three managers and signed 12 players in six weeks and certainly the busiest season I've ever had as a reporter it was <laughs> phenomenal um, and it wasn't going well and they were stuck in the mid-table of the championship so Nuno's the one who's brought it all together and, and without him you do wonder what happens next People talk about Champions League being crucial for the so-called established top six big six however you want to describe them given David's question then about Nuno given that clubs are circling some of Wolves playing talent do you actually think Champions League is, is crucial for, for Wolves here? I think that Nuno and some of the key players will be far more likely to stay if they're in the Champions League this this time next or this next season. Um, and if there's been such this unbelievable trajectory, this crazy rise over the last two years and everybody's fully on board and they're all built into the project. But as soon as Wolves, if they stagnate and have an average season, then these players, the likes of Jota, Neves, Traore, may be looking on elsewhere. So, But I think if, if they did somehow get into the Champions League um, at the end of this season and at the moment they're well placed in two competitions mm. you know to give it a really good go then everybody would probably stay for one more year and say hey come on let's see what we can do next season but without that you know Traore, Jota, Nevis these guys can go anywhere and I think Nuno as well um, people are really starting to realise now what a world class manager he he either could be or already is If Wolves do qualify for the Champions League Matt Slater what what stage do they go into because you, uh-huh. you wrote about yeah, good this question uh, well, so just if you missed the piece, uh, it was about something called the Copenhagen model. Um, uh, I think we, we were talking before, weren't we, about the calendar. And one of the big rows is uh, a, a revamping, a restructuring of all European club competitions from 24, 25 onwards. So that's when the current sort of set of broadcast and commercial deals end, which is a, a sort of a natural, let's have a fight moment for uh, football. So you've got like the big clubs, particularly on the continent, who are very upset about the amount of money that uh, English teams uh, get handed to them by Sky Sports and oh. BT, largely, um, and are always desperate to close that gap, particularly when uh, you know two English teams make the Europa League final and two English teams make the Champions League final. Yeah. That, that tends to really annoy them. So uh, that, that, that's when they go, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you do earn loads of money, don't you? Yeah, we don't mind it when you're rubbish, but yeah. So um, there's a big row going on uh, with the usual suspects, Bayern, Real, uh, Barca, all that lot. Juve, very much the ringleader. Mm. Um, who are all... Uh, they want a bigger, more better, more meaningful, dare I say, slightly super league uh, Champions League. Now, um, that... UEFA, to be fair, are going, OK, well, let's have a proper look holistically. We're getting a new third competition anyway from 2021, uh, which you know, older listeners will remember the Cup Winners' Cup. This is mm. going to be called the Europa Conference yes. League. Yeah. Um, and that, as I say, is to idea is to democratise and bring more countries in, blah, 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 blah. Right. So everything's up in the air. And everyone's got their own little agenda. So France wants its third and fourth team in. Italy wants its, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everyone wants to guarantee places. Can we have, you know, I don't want, do, do I always have to qualify via the domestic league? You know, I'm really good in Europe. Can I not just stay there? We've had this, you know, this idea that Roma are really unlucky. And how, how dare At Atlanta steal their place in the Champions League by coming third in Serie A? <laughs> so there's all sorts of stuff going on. To, to get to the point of Wolves and clubs like Leicester and uh, who else is up there? Sheffield United, those sorts of teams there is an idea out there okay that you kind of do a compromise with the big clubs you say well don't run off and form a super league can we do something around your club coefficient so this 10-year record you might have in europe 
can we, instead of, let's say, giving the Premier League four guaranteed slots in the uh, knockout stage of the Champions League, the top four leagues, uh, based on their country coefficients, so how well the clubs do as a country, get half of the th- of the 32. So four for us, four for Spain, four for Germany, four for Italy. And I think France get three, do they? And then one comes in through right. qualifying. So that's the idea. And then the, 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 the seventh, eighth, ninth best leagues join in at some point in the in the qualification period. An idea on the table that has been proposed by FC Copenhagen, who are, you know, most often the best team in Denmark, and liked by teams like Celtic, dare I say, uh, Legia Warsaw, uh, Red Star Belgrade, perennial champions in their domestic leagues, that Ajax is, a, is, a, is an obvious example, that, have, that don't get that guaranteed place in the group stages and have the jeopardy every year of having to join the penultimate round of qualifying or the last round of qualifying. And you know what? Every third, fourth year, they fail. They fail in August, except early, and their season is completely changed as a result. So what some of these teams are saying is, look, you know, we... We're good European citizens. You know, we contribute a lot to the pie. Um, isn't it better for everyone if Ajax are there and not Atalanta or, you know, the third or fourth team in wherever it right. might be, Spain or wherever? So long, long story short, it has been suggested that instead of a guaranteed four places for the Premier League in the group stages, maybe it just be the champions, maybe the champions and the runners-up, and maybe the third or fourth team... If they're famous enough. Yeah, if they're famous enough, and if they've got the right coefficient and all that, and yeah, they sell, you know, they, they sell products around the mm. world. But if you're not that sort of club, then maybe you have to join qualifying, and you come in at second, third, fourth round, depending on how good you are. Although in Wolves' case, Tim, then those clubs suggest that are also going to study Wolves' as European history. Mm. Ah well, yeah. But... Just to ba- just to balance that yeah. up, nineteen fifty, well, best you, team in the world. Can, yeah, you can you can tell them all. There might not be a Champions League without Wolves. I mean, you know. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Tim, thank you for joining Cheers, us. Tim. Cheers, guys. Cheers. The Athletic Podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, all you've got to do, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic. You fill in the style quiz, you tell us about your personal style, your budget, your size, your shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing. They're each hand-picked, especially for you, from our selection of 100 brands. Uh, and those brands include established names and up-and-coming designers. You try on everything at home. You style it with other items in your wardrobe. You pay for what you love. You send back the rest. And for your stylist time, you pay a charge of just a tenner. And that is actually deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. So you try before you buy Delivery and returns are free both ways and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Uh, To get started with Stitch Fix today and support the podcast as well, just go to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic right now. stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic. Well, we've covered one team in the Midlands then that have got an awful lot right. Meanwhile, on the athletic at the moment, there is an unbelievable article, a special investigation on Birmingham City, who I suppose, Matt Slater, you could argue have got quite a lot wrong. You've contributed to this piece with a load of other writers, including Adam Crafton. It, it's a very long article. It's a fascinating article. Can you can you surmise it? Yeah, I could try. Look, first of all, Adam Adam Crafton just done a remarkable job here of putting together about I'm not I'm not joking about thirty different interviews yeah. and conversations. I would summarise it like this. So Birmingham City are quite a good example, and this is why it should apply to people. It goes beyond. They're a bit of an everyman club yeah. here in this sense. They, we, if you're a Birmingham City fan, you might be thinking, why have you picked on us? We're picking on you because you um, represent several issues that apply pretty widely. Birmingham's problems, in my view, go back quite a way. Uh, and a probably good starting point would be when, when Sullivan and Gold sold up. So what's that, 11 years ago, yeah. 10 years yeah. ago? Because that's how long they've been at West yeah. Ham, right? So they sold to uh, Carson Young, a, a, a former hairdresser uh, who became a sort of kind of uh, a penny stocks guy uh, in Hong Kong and would pick up sort of you know, uh, small, cheap companies and try and, you know, he'd speculate. He was a speculator. Mm. Um, that's the kind of polite narrative around him. You, you, you could say, and, and people did try and say this earlier in the piece, 
uh, not our piece, but in the sort of kind of the, the story of Carson Young, that um, he, he might have been laundering money for uh, shady uh, interests in that part of the world, mm. triads and and other other gambling cash and what have you. And you know what? He he, he kind of was, mm. <laughs> and is now and has been imprisoned. So I think he might be out now. I don't know. Twenty fourteen, he was sent down for money laundering. Now. Um, the company was then picked up by um, various people that he owed money to, and they are—they're still owned. They're still Chinese-owned. Now, I've got—I'm not picking on Chinese ownership per se, but they—they have—they have had problems of governance and problems of uh, provenance of this money for some time. On a more local level, the people that they've that these these sort of absentee landlords have placed in charge of the business haven't been brilliant. They haven't been disastrous. They're definitely worse-run clubs. But they are—they're—they're they're not that well run. They haven't been well run for a while. They've got very loyal fan base. They've played in the championship all that time. You know, they've, they've put together reasonable runs of mm-hmm. form. They've had some reasonable managers, some good players. They've got a pretty productive academy. I'll, I'll give definitely, definitely, you know, credits for yeah. that. And it's helped them out. It's going to continue to help them out. In fact, it might be their saviour. Yes. So that it's not all doom and gloom, but they have been badly run. The, the key crunch point to bring it up to date is, as we know, last year, this time last year, they got they got nine-point sanction. They were the first club to be sanctioned under the EFL's financial fair play rules, the, the profitability and sustainability rules. They got a nine-point penalty, which, which, you know, certainly took them down from kind of being a top-half team to sort of flirting with relegation. They managed to, you know, avoid that. And it very nearly happened again this year it hasn't happened but what i can tell you and this is all you know outlined in the piece as well as various anecdotes about how strange uh the ownership is there and there are you know things that will just worry you about some of the stuff they're doing around the edges and some of their relationships with with um businesses back in the far east but also in spain and they are still right on the edge Mm. in terms of ffp you know, this is a club that has gone down that road, like four or five other clubs, of selling themselves, selling their stadium to their owner mm. to, 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 to satisfy a financial fair play issue. And even so, they're still right on it. Uh, they've got some good players now. Jude Bellingham, which I'm sure David's got plenty to say about him, is a really good player. Lots of people like the look of him. He's 16, right? Yeah. I think he's 16. He's 17 this so, summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think he looks like their next stadium sale, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Now, how many more of those have they got? I think they've got a couple, but th- this is where they're at. There are only so many players you can sell. There's only one stadium you can sell. Which is done. So are they heading for potential oblivion? Why do some of these people want to get involved because if you read some of those anecdotes you would think they should really want to be anywhere but where they are on the selling of assets you're right they've done the stadium now uh, they actually kind of in terms of the the range of valuations which is a is a whole different podcast uh, they've gone pretty low so i don't think they've got any problem there with with with, with the value that they um, ascribed to st andrews i think it's about 23 million i think it helped them out in terms of their annual loss figure to the tune of about 17 million um how many more they got on the how many more they got on their on their sort of you know the the shelves Jude Bellingham's the obvious one I think his younger brother's supposed to be really good as well I think he might be 14 though so a few years before he's ready to sell I I understand they've got a couple of us they've been they've been buying better of late they've been buying younger so if they had to do a fire sale they could but whole point about fire sales is you don't get value. Everyone mm-hmm. sees you coming. Mm-hmm. How do these kind of owners get in? We've been successful because we've been light touch with our regulation. We have been open to the world. Come in. We don't. If you're a criminal, mm, we might have a problem there. But otherwise, if you can show us some cash and you look like you've got a bit of energy and an idea, in you come. Have a go. Football, football operates within UK law, within, within that sphere. So... That's the answer there, really. And, and then does football then ask for some kind of opt-out to do a cut of your jib test, which is, you know, the, the, this is the joke that Richard Scudamore, the former the boss of the Premier League, used to say. I'm, you know, we're not a golf club. We're not, we're not going to just look you up and down and say, we don't like the look of you. Mm. Well, that's exactly what they do in the NFL. Mm. I mean, there are obvious reasons why you'd want to stiffen your regulation, and then there are obvious reasons why you can't. The authorities would prefer an owner even if that's a bad owner, than a club going out of business. I do hear that. I do. Hear, you, you talk to people in League One, League Two, and they just say, you know what, we can't be picky. Have you seen how much money we're losing? Mm-hmm. And there's an energy level. There's a sort of kind of, I can only do this for so long. 
is there another idiot? You know, is someone please take this off my hands? If we start being too picky and choosy, can we have a look at business plans, please? Do you want to start putting up bonds and, uh, you know, surety against, you know, can we, can we have more certainty, more regulation around you before you take on this community asset? Brilliant. Your, your queue of three potential owners has just shrunk to none. Great. And my only other point, why are these people uh, going yeah. in? Because we're talking about big egos. We're talking about people who often have made a big success in one part of their business life and they, you know, they think they can they think they can do it all. They think they can apply those rules that worked so well for them here to sport. They 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 tend to be competitive people. They like the adrenaline of it. They like best testing themselves against other business people. They the sport is sports competition, right? And uh, what better release is there if you couldn't have been a sports person yourself to own a club and to test yourself week in, week out and to have a trophy at the end? That's fun, right? And it gets you in the papers and, yeah, I mean, it's it's a rush. I hear. And if you get it right, it makes you even more money. There, there, there's the yeah. other, there's the other thing. Absolutely. And, you know, the bad ones, the bad ones and fans of these clubs will know that they will gamble with these clubs and these communities to try and get them into the into the promised land. We're seeing and, it with and, Wigan now. And make and make the money. Well, we you know, Wigan have announced their their losses this week of, you know, nine million nine million pounds. But their wages went up, if you look at their finances, their wages went up sixty six percent, just going from League One back into the championship. Which I mean, is which is which is phenomenal. And it's interesting the point you made about Birmingham. Why did we look at Birmingham? It's because they are there are numerous other clubs like that, yeah, there are. and and you go around the country, yeah. and and fans of these clubs will know. You talk to to certain clubs and certain owners, and what they're doing. Birmingham, it feels like, are by no means unique in no. what is going on in English football. And I, I've said this several times as well. You want to know what it's like to properly run a football club? You can follow the Accrington chairman, can't you? Yeah. You can follow yeah, Andy yeah. Holt, and it, the way he budgets his club and he puts that on Twitter is a fascinating, fascinating insight. Kieran Maguire, the football finance expert, who, who does a pod himself, doesn't he? Price of Football mm-hmm. podcast, Very which good. is a fascinating listen as well. You know, one of the stats he gave me not that long ago is that. The average wage in the championship is, I don't know, 17,000, something like that. But if you actually look at the budgets and put them all together for a championship, it should be about five or 6,000. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, that just, just, I mean, and that is in the most simple terms, black and white, and you wonder why teams get into trouble. Yeah, yeah. This has been a cheery podcast. I know, sorry. Every <laughs> time no, I come in, Wolves were a positive. They were. There you go. They were. They are. Um, in a way, there are some caveats there. <laughs> um, loads more on Birmingham on the on the Athletic. It is a remarkable article to read. Just a couple more lines, uh, David, uh, before we go. Billy Gilmore. Yes, Billy Gilmore uh, has shot to prominence, really, hasn't he, at Chelsea uh, over the last few weeks. Um, and there have been growing calls for him to be um, included in the Scotland senior squad for the upcoming and critical Euro 2020 playoff against Israel at Hampden Park. Would those calls just be to claim him? <laughs> well, yeah, let's not get into that one now. But, um, but uh, he's been hugely impressive and he looks ready despite his tender age. However... He's going to be called up uh, the day this podcast goes out, Tuesday, uh, to the under-21 squad. He's earned 12 caps for them already. They're in a really important qualification process of their own for under-21 Euro 2021. Um, They're at the halfway point and he'll get to play two matches. Um, I think it's against Croatia and Greece. And if he was called into the senior Scotland squad, the chances are he would be training with them, probably sitting in the stands for the match itself. And in the view of the SFA, uh, who have been all over his development and fast-tracked him over the last three years, very impressive system with a good background that's worth looking into there, their involvement in schools in Scotland. Uh, The view is that he would be better off with no disrespect to the Scotland senior squad, training with Chelsea where the standard overall is higher and then playing matches. And that's what he'll get in the under-21s. His call-up for Scotland is coming. Don't worry, Scotland fans. Uh, if his progress continues like this, he he probably wouldn't play at the finals for Scotland under-21s if they get there. Um, he'll be a part of uh, Steve Clark's 
senior first team setup. Steve Clark watched him in the Liverpool FA Cup win. Is very impressed, and they're trying to do what's in the best interests of his development. Going forward, they could have a very, very good midfield three of uh, yep. Gilmore, McTominay, and McGinn, couldn't mm-hmm. they? Really, is their three going forward? Just a couple of um, lines on Arsenal right backs, or maybe not Arsenal right backs, depending mm-hmm. on whether you think Maitland Niles is a right back or not. Well, dipping back into the column, Hector Bellerin um, is been pretty clear that he's been struggling since getting back from his ACL injury that was picked up in January 2019. Uh, It really encapsulates the struggles that many players have returning from these long-term injuries. You can look at Rob Holding at Arsenal as well, many others for that matter. Uh, Bellerin's only completed 10 matches since returning. He's been in and out of the team. He's had niggling injuries and the latest I found out was that he actually suffered a a tear to his groin. Um, Now, we don't know to what degree some people have been messaging me saying why on earth is he playing well it it may only be a minor tear but a tear all the same in preparation for the Newcastle match a few weeks ago Um, uh, he was doing some extra bits in training um, and that's what he's been doing I hear going in training pretty much every day for going days off um, doing extra work to get himself fit and uh, back in form but he picked up a problem he did still play 90 minutes he's been quite heavily on painkillers which isn't great to hear Um, and there is hope with the easing fixture schedule that he will uh, get back to sort of his top level um, and may even be an outside contender for the Spain squad for the Euros but yeah that's pretty concerning and all the more important that Arsenal's January signing Cedric Suarez um, is finally brought into the fold after an injury of his own and has a strong end to the season people saying well where's Ainsley Maitland-Niles who was occupying that position for a bit I heard some suggestions a long time ago now that he had expressed a desire or a preference not to be playing at right back and that he favours a central midfield position and that Mikel Arteta isn't particularly receptive to players indicating where they want to play Um, they will play where they're told to play and for the good of the team and since then you know I don't know the exact um, conversations that have gone on but he hasn't been playing very much and then one other suggestion I got was that he has been late for a couple of training sessions and certainly Arteta would not like that given that discipline and behaviour and respect and culture is so important to him and some people around Arsenal feel that um, it could be done for Ainsley Maitland-Niles at Arsenal Uh, we don't know for a fact I'm just reflecting suggestions I've heard uh, okay, uh, that's it for this week. That was a, that was in the main a very serious one, but make sure you subscribe to the Athletic, but to, a very important, a very one important well. one to read in full articles from David, uh, Matt, Tim, and the rest. Have you got any cheery articles on there at the moment? No. No, 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 I've got, I'm, I'm a half-finished one. I'm half-finished, a really nice uh-huh. one about, about stadiums, how you build stadiums. There you go, that will, yeah. that will be coming up very soon. Uh, and also by listening to us, you can get a 40% discount on subscription. Just go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. All of our podcasts are completely free. If you are a subscriber, you do get the ad-free version, but they are free for everybody. That's it, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.